The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, right across from me is the one, the only, the feeling chilly like a billy. Damn it. <laughs> the Sasquatch. Tammy the Billy Goat Underwood. <laughs> Whatever, dude. No, it is cold out there. Like, right, really right. cold. You gotta talk more into your mic, though. Oh, sorry. I was so, trying to be quiet. Well, it's, it's early in the morning, and then... Yeah. All that good shit. It is, yeah, it is so cold out there right now. Yeah. All right, so today you gave me Sam Little. I did. Now, Sam is an anomaly. I mean, not like... You know, Keith Jesperson. Who, well, I, like, I, I wanted you know. to do him myself until you said, no, I'm doing him. Yeah. Because, I'm kind of glad I am because. Um, yeah, I read his shit and I'm like, God damn. This yeah, is awesome. it's so convoluted, too. You know, because uh, I'll get into it here in a minute. <laughs> I mean, because I won't really get into the convoluted part until later. But um, the topic of serial killers and crimes they commit is not it's not really a new phenomenon, you know. Jake's standing up. I, I see that. Arise, oh, Jacob. <laughs> so now you can talk louder into your mic. Yeah, so although serial murders have been documented for centuries, they weren't actually labeled or categories with the term serial killings or serial murders, you know. Uh-huh. Until sometime in the mid-70s, that's when law enforcement officials, researchers, academics, and medical practitioners gave their own definitions for the term. Which is a good thing because uh, if you think about it, Serial killing is a habitual, um, it, 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 it's a habit. Yes. You know, and I, I, I <clears throat> hear me out before you want to jump my shit out there and give me more hate mail. <clears throat> it's a habit because once you learn that you enjoy something. Right. You want it, you tend to want to do it. Like, for example, I smoke. Right. And it's a habit. And I've tried to quit smoking, I don't know, like a buttload of times. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to start light a cigarette right now. Um, <laughs> Give me two seconds. No. Um, there, there, there's some habits that you can control and some that you can't. And in the, and in the case of serial killing, it's habitual. People right. are getting some form of catharsis out of it. Um, you know. Right. So, well, that, yeah. Yeah, because um, I had a therapist tell me one time, it takes seven minutes to develop a habit, but seven tries to get rid of it. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, she goes, because you, when you are doing something and it's enjoyable, you want to keep doing it and repeat doing it. Oh, exactly. That's why I always put my penis on an electric fence. I mean, on I know it, it's you don't pee, bad. You don't, you don't just pee on it. You put the whole thing there. Oh, yeah. I call it the Zapparilla 5000. It's good for keeping the uh, the coyotes out of the yard and the raccoons. And, You're so and dumb. I shoot lightning bolts out of my butthole. It's pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, and then you go around and mark your territory. <laughs> mm. Sorry. I call myself the Flash. <laughs> so, but for, you know, well over 20 years, all those definitions just shared a common theme. You know, that it was like multiple murders, but nobody could decide on whether it should be two, three, four. Some even said more than five back then. And then, um, you know, and all it, when it comes to the time frame in between oh. and all that stuff. However, in there, there had never been a formal or legal definition until around 1998. And that 
and that definition was actually in, included in the Protection of Children from Sexual Predator Act. So it really didn't apply to adults back then as far as law enforcement went. Okay, so they were, they were actually thinking that this was more like if you kill kids and you're kind of a serial right. killer. Well, because it was included okay. in the sexual predator and the sex trafficking and all that stuff. Yeah, so well, they included that because... That's kind of stupid. Well, it's stupid in hindsight, and I'll tell you why. Because not all serial killers are sexual in nature. True. You and know, not all serial killers target children. Right, and not all child molesters are serial killers. That's true, too. So, right. Well, and then the the definition they gave in there was the term serial killing means a series of three or more killings, not less than one committed in the U.S., having common characteristics, closer, such as to suggest the reasonable possibility that the crimes are committed by the same actor or actors. Okay. So that actually provided a definition of serial murder within the law, but it was limited in the way it was applied. In fact, the sole purpose of that definition was to establish criteria that allowed for the FBI to assist other agencies in their investigations. Okay. Well, and you know, the FBI, sense. as soon as a child is missing, the FBI gets involved. Right, which I'm glad for, man, because, yeah. you know, I've said this before, there, there, there's, there's very vulnerable people... Yes, uh, in our in our society, children being one of them, the elderly, and the the mentally disabled. Correct. You know, and, and people who are just generally infirm are very vulnerable to not just attack by you know physical means, but financial. Not in kids. I mean, you're not going like, to get a million dollars out of little Billy who just you know has a uh, fucking lemonade stand, <laughs> right? But uh, you, you remember when old people were being targeted for things like reverse mortgages or... Right. Uh, there are some reverse mortgage companies that are good. Oh, yeah. No, totally. But, yeah, but there were so many scams yeah, out there. Yeah, it was IRS, Med, uh, Social Security. Um, yeah, all that. Yeah, they, they, they fall victim to a lot of those schemes. And then, of course, you know, they're, you know... Uh, crime, when it comes to violent crime and, and things like that, is usually a mode of opportunity. And ability. For example, Correct. I brought this up to Don. Chinatown in Portland's pretty rough. Yes. Especially now. Oh yeah. It's way worse now. So I can walk through Chinatown. And oh yeah. People are probably not gonna mess with me. Why? I'm a big, intimidating looking guy. Right. Because while people are criminals, they're not stupid. They go, Okay, there's a chance that this guy's probably he might be carrying a gun. Right. Which is a good chance I will. Um, at bare minimum, I'm gonna get hurt. Just True. trying to get, what, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 bucks out of his pocket. Yeah. That's if probably that. not a good idea. However, if you were Dawn, oh, especially yeah. Dawn, because Dawn's kind of small. Well, and she's kind of more meek. Right. If you she's I mean? walking in Chinatown at, like, let's say, 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Right. She's going to get the shit knocked out of her. And right. And they're going to steal her stuff, and she might be sexually assaulted. Correct. But nobody's looking at me going, I'm going to sexually assault him and take his wallet. Well, and that's true because several years ago, um, I was with a group that went down and um, volunteered at Union Gospel Mission. And it was at night, so it was dark. And one of the people I was with, she was like, really? She goes, I can't believe I'm down here and I hope nothing happens to us. I said, look, just walk with confidence. Because if you show confidence, you're less likely to be targeted. Nowadays, I don't even know if that'll be true. <laughs> it, not here in Portland. I got a story. I got a, 
Okay, so, so you've met Matt at the recording studio that me and my band use, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love Matt. Well, he's originally from New York, and he was telling me, this was about a year ago, he was saying, man, I'm, I won't even go to downtown Portland much. I go, why? He goes, because this guy was following me. So, like, when that happens in New York, I would just turn around and you give him the I'm crazy stare, and he gave me his <laughs> little, yeah, Matt's not a big guy. With the little, like, googly eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, and usually people go, okay, and they stop and they walk away. This dude was following me, and I turned around and gave him the crazy stare like I do in, did in New York. I go, what? What do you want? And he kept following me. That's wow. not how this works. You're supposed to turn around and go away. And yeah. He's like, no, I'm not, no, I just, I can't. That's, he goes, get the shit out of me, man. Crap, I just, Spilled coffee down my chin. (laughs) (laughs) But then in 2005, right, the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit actually planned and coordinated what they called the Serial Murder Symposium. Wow. I want to be part of that symposium. I know. It went from August 29th to September 2nd. And the people who attended that symposium took a look at all the definitions and they came to a unanimous consensus. That serial killing is bad? No, that they had to have, there had to be a simple, broad definition of the term that could be used by law enforcement for, for FBI to get involved in any sort of, you know, suspected serial killing or, you know, type of thing. Well, that makes sense, too, because you right. might have some similar deaths that aren't necessarily a serial killing. Right. It's just they have they have commonalities if you look at it in a broader spectrum. For example, like let's say that you have three white guys who wear business suits right. that live in an area that all get killed within, let's say, let's, let's, let's do a, a good term. Let's say two months. Yes. You know, uh, if you're looking at a broad spectrum... You go, okay, these are all linked. Why? They all live in the same area. They all wear business suits. But it might be that, well, Bill over here was, you know, had gambling debt. Right. And owed a loan shark. And then Mike over here was banging the neighbor's wife. And, you know, uh, the. Right, the, exactly. The, 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 way the, the, you know, the way that they died is weird. And, or not weird, but very different. It's like the only, right. the only commonality was that they were all living in the same area and they all wore business suits. Right. So, no, I, I totally understand. You need a standard for that shit. Yeah, exactly. So, now, according to the FBI, as of 2005, the legal definition of serial murder is the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender or offenders in separate events. I'm a total serial killer. Well, okay, because when, when Halloween was here, I bought three boxes of Boo-berry? specials. I bought Booberry, I bought Frankenberry, and I bought Count Chocula. Dude, I was going to pick up some, but I forgot. I downed two of those boxes. I believe it. They Jake, are, you know, those are childhood memories. Jake ate all the fucking Count Chocula. The but bastard. we won't ever eat Captain Crunch again, because that tears up your mouth. No kidding, man. I don't want, I don't want fucking Edward Scissor's hands in my damn mouth. That didn't sound right. Um, <laughs> didn't at all. Moving on. <laughs> However, since the end of June, you and I have covered hundreds of cases yeah. involving killers who murdered at least three people over time. In fact, we've even covered cases in which the killer or killers had anywhere from 10 to 50 victims. Yep. However, other than Harold Shipman in the UK, we seldom hear about anyone killing upwards of 75 people. I think our average... On the low end is going to be 10, and our average on the high end will be right around 15 to 20. Well, we did cover um, the Candyman, Coral, Henry, and Brooks, who'd had 33, I think. Right, right. Well, we're just talking you know, averages. Yeah. I mean, there's so there's, there's some like, anomalies like exactly. that. Exactly. 
So, but today we're actually featuring the case of a serial killer who confessed to murdering 93 women. That's why I like him. He's got that huge body yeah. count. That's the case of Samuel Little. Little. He's considered to be one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. However, can I, well, some... Can, can, can I give the, the, the beautiful part of the whole thing? What? Here's the thing, boys and girls. Serial killers are normally white guys. Oh, yes. Between the ages of 25 and 50. Mm-hmm. So I'm still in that serial killer phase of my life. You kind of are. We... Okay, look. This is something for the brothers. Leave serial killing out of this. This is our thing. You can't do that. That's ours. That's right. Don't take that away from us. Don't take that away from us. (laughs) Equal rights is okay, but not this. (laughs) Because we've never had a prolific serial killer like this. No, not a prolific one that was African-American. And Sam Little is very black. Yeah. Okay. I want to clear something up. And he's looked different over the years. Way different. I'm pretty sure that Sam Little's never been to Africa. He's a black American, like my black American friends. He's not from Kenya. I told you about my buddy, uh, the the guy I worked for in California. Yeah. He was from Kenya. Okay. He's African American. He's from Africa. I hate when people go, I'm African American. You've never been to Africa. Right. Exactly. You're a black American. Just just be happy with being a black American, man. So, but there has been some who surmised that he is was the most prolific American serial killer of all time, which I kind of agree with. No, no I can agree with that too, yeah. Yeah. That we know of yet. Yeah. So even though Little isn't, he's, and he's not featured in movies or TV shows, he has become known as what they call the choke and stroke killer. And there's a reason. <laughs> well, I have a story- lot of girl. I've had a lot of girlfriends who like that. <laughs> I'd like that, no. (laughs) (laughs) I call that date night. I thought you were going to say that. (laughs) That was Tuesday. So his story is probably one of the most horrifyingly intriguing cases we have come across. In fact, it's actually downright bizarre. Mm. Sorry. So he was born on June 7th, 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia. His mother was a 16-year-old prostitute named Bessie Mae Little. And his father was her 19-year-old client, Paul McDowell. Okay? Not long after he was born, his family moved to Lorraine, Idaho. And from that point, he was mostly raised by his grandma. No, but what do you think, man? Because, and I'm not just saying this because he's No, because black, she was way. a 16-year-old prostitute. Yeah, she was, she's a 16-year-old hooker. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like 16-year-old hookers. They're, okay, I'm going off to work, suck some dick and go home. And, you know, like the, I'm going to make right. dinner for everybody. Usually, that's not how that shit works. Well, yeah. I mean, and back then, most prostitutes, it's sad to say, were drug addicts. You know? Yeah. yeah no. Very true. Yeah. Um. So, Little, what, he was a student at Hawthorne Junior High when he began to exhibit problems with both academic achievement and discipline. He later actually said that he was in kindergarten, which is what, five Four or five years old? Yeah, about five, about five, yeah. Yeah, when he started having sexual fantasies about strangling women. His words. Oh, me too. Yeah, he stated that one day he noticed his kindergarten teacher touching her neck, and that was what triggered his deviant fantasies. So, by the time he reached puberty, where some boys collect Playboy, he was collecting true crime publications. <laughs> all guy. of which depicted female victims being choked. Then when he was 16, he was well on his way to being a career criminal. In 1956, he was in Omaha, Nebraska, when he was charged and convicted of breaking and entering. 
The judge sentenced him to serve time at a juvenile detention center. However, when he was released, he decided education wasn't for him, and he dropped out of high school. Sometimes in the, sometime in the late 60s, he decided he was going to move to Florida to stay with his mom. According to him, during that time, he worked various jobs, including being an ambulance attendant and a burial ground custodian. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Two very weird things there. It's like, let me take care, let me help people live, let me take care of the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he didn't live with his mom very long before he started traveling around the country and committing more crimes. He was arrested multiple times in eight different states for charges including fraud, shoplifting, DUI, armed robbery, solicitation, rape, and aggravated assault. Now, thus began his revolving door prison tour. Um, he later stated that during his many stints in prison, he learned how to box. He even claimed that he was, quote, a pro- former prize fighter. Um, then, in 1961, before moving in with his mother, he was in Lorraine when he was arrested for breaking into a furniture store. He wound up serving three years in prison and was released in 64, and that's when he decided it was time to move to Florida. By the time he was 35 years old in 1975, he was arrested at least 26 times in 11 different states. Holy cow, man. In a matter of 11 years from 1964 to 1975, he had added theft, attempted rape, assault, and attacks on government officials to his rap sheet. You know what? His tour dates are more... Freaking, like he's he's more booked than I am. I know, Holy right? Cow, man. <laughs> Rock on, Sam. That's a good tour. That's a good tour. So eight years later, in September, on September twelfth, nineteen eighty-two, the body of twenty-six-year-old Patricia and don't even say anything. Patricia and Mount was discovered in a field in Gainesville, Florida, which makes it worse. She was found along U.S. Highway twenty-seven. That same month, four actually four days later. 22-year-old Melinda Rose LaPree, the mother of a three-week-old baby, was reported missing in Pascagoula, Mississippi. It wasn't long after that that he was arrested and charged with the murder of Melinda, right? However, the grand jury refused to order an issue an official indictment because there was a lack of physical evidence. And you got to remember, back then, DNA wasn't really a thing. It was right. just barely starting where they could test blood type. Okay, so um, while he was being investigated for that murder, he was actually extradited to Florida and charged with the murder of Patricia. Now, during the trial, the prosecutor called several witnesses to the stand who testified that he spent time with the victim early in the evening on the day she disappeared. However, Gainesville Assistant State Attorney Ken Herbert was unable to locate a key witness in time for the trial. That combined with their lack of phys- their total lack of physical evidence, in January 1984, he was acquitted of all charges. Then, after beating the murder charges, he quickly moved to Florida, California and settled in the San Diego area. In October that year, he assaulted a lady, a 22-year-old woman by the name of Lori Barros. And something you'll realize is he, his victims crossed the spectrum from white to Hispanic to Asian to black. I mean, he did not have a specific type, which is odd, too. Now, she survived being kidnapped, beaten, strangled, and he was arrested and charged. 
the judge issued a bail for him. And while he was out on bail, a month later, the police found him with an unconscious woman in the backseat of his vehicle. He had beaten and strangled her as well. The irony of the situation is that he had committed that assault in the exact same location he attempted to murder Lori the month before. Like, exact location. So... He wound up spending two and a half years in prison for both attacks. And as soon as he was released in February 1987, he moved to Los Angeles where he actually murdered at least 10 women. Are you there? I'm listening. Did I lose you? No, I'm right here. Okay. So finally, technology catches up to him, right? On September 5th, 2012, Little was living in Louisville, Kentucky and staying at a homeless shelter when he was arrested and extradited back to California on a drug charge. I found out later it's because he got caught with a crack pipe. So by then, California had implemented their mandatory DNA testing of new and existing inmates. Now, the results of that DNA test, the authorities linked him to the murder of three women who had been discovered on the streets of L.A. in the 1980s. One was on July 13, 1984. Her name was Carol Eileen Elford. September 3, 1987, Guadalupe Duarte Apodaca. And August 14, 1989, Audrey Nelson Everett. Now, on January 7, 2013, he was sent to L.A. and charged with murder. Now, in the beginning of March that same year, LAPD cold case detectives Mitzi Roberts and Rick Jackson decided to look into other unsolved murders across the country to see if he was involved in those as well. Now, the two detectives began their investigation by contacting Greg Weeks. In 1982, Weeks was a detective with the I don't even know if I'm going to say this right. Alachua County Sheriff's Office. Alachua, I think. Oh, it could be. Um, in charge of the Patricia Mount murder investigation. The case that resulted in his acquittal in 1984. Now, Weeks actually referred Jackson Roberts to a lady by the name of Linda Brown. Um, she was the records bureau chief for the sheriff's office. Little did they know that locating the original file would be no easy task. However, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it here, but she was a research ninja herself. Damn. Can we hire yeah. her? Yeah, I don't know. So the first obstacle that she ran into was that the file was somewhere in among 3,000 boxes of, cold, of closed case files that were actually stored off-site. Now, the other issue was that at that time, detective files on a case weren't stored with the investigator files on the same case. They were always stored separately, which makes it more difficult to find an entire case file. So, within a week, though, she was able to track down the unorganized case file that consisted of hundreds of pages. And before she sent copies to Roberts and Jackson, she systematically went through the entire case and organized it into labeled sections, which made it easier for them to go through. Oh, that's it. You have to we have to get her home. I know, right? She needs to be here now. Yesterday. Yeah. So inside that newly organized file, the authorities discovered critical information that potentially linked little to several unsolved murders of women throughout Florida, from the Panhandle in the north to Orlando in the south. 
Damn. Yeah. He's on a rock star tour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. So that list included the murder of Rosie Hill one month before Patricia Mount's body was found in Gainesville. I could just see him popping into an area going, Hello, Jacksonville. Are you ready to die? <laughs> And they're from like, an God, he's gonna, she's going to slap From it. an arena stage. That's right. <laughs> all right. Come one, come all. <laughs> I'm going to come, but I'm going to strangle you and smack you around first. Slap and smack, baby. Slap and smack. Yeah. Well, in, oh, anyways, from, okay, that list included the murder of Rosie Hill. Now, in on August 16th, 1982, you know, one month before Patricia, Rosie's naked and badly beaten remains were discovered in a wooded area in Marion County, Florida. Now, the medical examiner wasn't able to determine her exact cause of death. However, he indicated it was likely the result of strangulation. Now, all of the potential victims had several similarities that couldn't just be coincidental. Everyone had been brutally beaten and sexually assaulted. Their cause of death was ruled to be strangulation, and some were murdered within days of each other. Now, he was called the choke and stroke serial killer. No, killer, because after he choked them to death, he would masturbate on them. I kind of figured that one. Yeah. That, that's kind of a given, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. on the nose. That's how they got all his DNA. <laughs> oh, my God. That makes me afraid for me. No, you should be. My DNA is on a lot of people <laughs> and everywhere. Like I'm like the Johnny Appleseed of of sex because I've uh I've you planted my... your seed everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everywhere but Australia because you know fucking <laughs> and Antarctica. And our, well, not yet. There's penguins up there though, so. I know you're bound and determined to eat one. I'm gonna eat a fucking pink, not in the kinky way. We're just talking about sex. I'm like, not like I'm gonna sit there. Here's a stone. No. I'm gonna eat you in that way. No, no, I want a barbecue one. Yeah. So not only that, <laughs> smoke it. Every woman <laughs> was known for what the authorities classify as high a high risk lifestyle. They were either prostitutes or transients, which made them easier prey for a predator like Little. And we talked about that before. We were just talking about that at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that's part of the called, vulnerable people. They're actually labeled one psychiatrist labeled them less than dead. Right? Which means wow, that's that fucked up. the high they have a higher probability of being murdered. Or dying of an overdose or something that's, that, like that. Still, that's fucked up to say. Yeah. Well, ma'am, you're less than dead. That's what the right. hell, well, and not man. only that, a lot of actual law enforcement officials call them throwaway people. No, that's what I call them, too, because that's what that's what they're treated like. Mm-hmm. And I stick up for my hookers all the time, man. You know, fucking they're... Hookers are people, too. Exactly. And because nobody gives a shit about the hookers. True. You know, like, when, except for except for Rochester PD. <laughs> Rochester which, Rochester, I still give you a big shout for that one because you guys are phenomenal um, when it comes to taking care of the prostitutes because they realize that these are vulnerable people. They're, they're, they're in a dangerous lifestyle. Okay? True. Very true. But given that, there's really, we don't know what somebody's plight is in life. Right. And they have a right to be alive just like everybody else. Right. It could be drug use. It could be that they have no actual working skills. It could be that they, you know, that they're that they're hooking part time. We don't know. Right. You know, and they have a right to live. They have a right to live their life happily um, or as happy as they can. Um, just fuck, man. Just nobody gives a shit about them. It pisses me off. True. Man, that is something I'm passionate about. Well, and it's true. I mean, it's horrible. But, you know, I guess. Are we going to go on a like plight across the U.S.? <laughs> Thought about it. Like, <laughs> no, seriously. seriously. 
yeah, I thought about setting up uh, some kind of a foundation to, you know, to kind of help hookers. And, 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 well, and, and, and you know if they legalized it, it would take that, it would reduce that significantly. It would, you know. Yeah. I believe in safety, especially for those. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, every time that there's a rash of hookers that get killed or transient people or whatever. Um, but I, the, the bums around here in Portland, honestly, I don't give a shit about because it's just disgusting. They but, are um, just filthy because there's such an abundance but like when hookers start dying nobody gives a shit and then when somebody brings it to the media they you know the cops go we need to crack down on this and and protect them blah 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 you know what there's an easy fucking way to do that guys legalize it yeah well and usually it doesn't hit the main news unless there's multiple ones because you can find one prostitute who was murdered or whatever and it'll be on like page 10 if that yeah yeah and then it's only when multiple women in that profession, turn up dead. Then they start, you know, thinking, "Hey, maybe we got a problem." Yeah, it's it's jacked up. I'm telling you, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I, it, it's just upsetting because, yeah, every time we cover something that involves hookers, there has got to be a huge body count. True. Before the cops sit there and go, "Oh, I guess we have a problem," because and it, you know, it always seems to be a problem. When the media finds out and somebody is making a stink about it. True. If nobody's saying anything about it, like... True. Know, and, and, and I'm on the media's ass all the time because I don't like mainstream media. Me neither. But unless somebody... You know, this is where they're good. This is where the one thing that they're useful for is when it comes to the hookers. Because when somebody brings it to their attention, they go, hey, we can make money off of this. Let's make a story. And yeah. then all of a sudden, this is... Well, we knew about this all the whole time and we've been trying hard to solve this case. No, you haven't. You didn't give a shit. Right. Well, we ran across that with the Grim Sleeper. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Lonnie Franklin... Lonnie Franklin Jr. Jr., yeah. Yeah. He... Like, literally killed people and then was apparently dormant for a certain amount of time. But nobody looked into it until an investigative reporter broke the story and said, hey, wait a minute. We have a problem here. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and then they were like, oh, well, we were looking into it. We just didn't want to alarm the community. Well, shouldn't you have warned the community? Exactly. (laughs) And that's why I love Rochester, because as soon as that second hooker went Missing and they, you know, with Shawcross, right? Yeah, with Shawcross. Yeah, they were out there, and the 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 cops that worked the the hooker beat mm-hmm. there in Rochester were going around. Hey, man, you guys need to be careful because somebody's killing off, you know, right. your, your people in your profession, you know. And they're, they they beefed up uh, patrols, and they're they were they worked the case freaking quick. Now we go to almost any other state, yeah, any other any other city. And people are like, huh, we have a whole pile of dead hookers, but you know what? I think I want a coffee and donuts. Right? I don't it's, think so. It's freaking ridiculous, you know? Right. These are people. These are fucking people. Well, true. So in the original case file, though, there was also a letter addressed to the police department in Little Rock, Arkansas, Kansas. <laughs> Arkansas? <laughs> yeah, they can't arrest me because I'm not there. <laughs> it's not, you know, it says it's a natural state. I think it should be the. Uh, the is state. that what the nickname is? Yeah, it's a, it, you, 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 you roll into Arkansas and it says Arkansas, the Kansas, uh, the uh, the natural state. No, it isn't. It's the sister loving state. <laughs> my sister's got a part of my mouth. <laughs> the state of brotherly love. <laughs> we, that's right. Uh, well, hey, hey, we have five kids together. And we broke up, but she said I could still be your brother. (laughs) 
I hate you. <laughs> so in that letter, the ASO was asking for assistance in finding a teenage male known to associate with Little in the early 80s. It also indicated that he was potentially responsible for the... And that letter also indicated that Little was potentially responsible for the death of approximately 60 women across the country. That was, you know, they knew this back in 1980-something, right? Right. However, they didn't have the technology. Dang. Um, So the ASO authorities were actually able to track him down at one point. And when he was giving his deposition, he revealed some key information. He wasn't the only person known to associate with Little during that time. There was also a woman by the name of Aurelia Dorsey. Now, she was 20 years older than Little, and she was the person who rented the various motel rooms they stayed in all over the country. Until they had her name, they couldn't link him to any of those cities, right? Because he never rented a motel or anything in his name. Oh, okay. Yeah, and every time he returned from his mysterious nighttime activities, she would take his car out the following morning and wash it. Wow. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait, wait hold on. Hold, hold, hold up. She works and she'll wash my car? Apparently so. Okay, now here's my other question because we've been talking about you importing two Korean girls for me who I, I want to point out that I'm not going to make them stay in the dog kennels. Like you originally threatened? Yeah. No, they're, they're allowed to like free range it. Um, <laughs> in the backyard. Oh, I'm kidding. No, they can come inside. It's okay. I have a dog door. Um, will they wash my truck? Long time? I don't know. <laughs> we washed your truck long time. Can't even. Because you know what? Okay, people are going to think I'm being racist right now, but you have to remember, I grew up in a Korean family. I have a lot of Korean relatives. But those They're be- small enough to go in there through the doggy door normally. Exactly. And, and for those of you that don't know the joke behind this, I love telling this. Oh, I know. So when when Tammy's brother was, uh, and his wife were having their, their, their second baby, he's in yes. the hospital with their, their giving birth to wonton. And uh, right, so I stayed with Yuki for a week. Yeah, and that's that. The, the oldest one's name is Yuki, and so I'm talking to Tammy on the phone, and she goes, "Well, they said this lady is supposed to show up to do some cooking and cleaning, you know, and take care of the house while uh, my sister in law is recovering." And she, uh, she's supposed to be here at four. It's three no, ten or ten. That's what it was. It's it's nine fifty nine. I don't I don't see her. I'm looking out the window. Where the hell is she? And right at 10, boom. It turns 10. You're ding dong. I know. Knock, knock, knock. And she's like, she's like I hear. I hit the cook. And she just walked right in and she did a bunch of stuff. She cooked. She cleaned. She like yeah. she sprinkled some magic Korean dust. <laughs> and then she's all like, wow, the place looks free. Hey, where are you at? And she was gone. Just boom. She's yeah. like the Korean Mary Poppins. It's <laughs> That's what amazing. I called her. And then when my brother got home, I was like, I was like, she like showed up out of nowhere. He goes, oh, she actually came in the front door. I go, yeah. He goes, I've seen her come out of the refrigerator a couple times. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. I tell you, man, they just they she appeared, and yeah. I want two of them. Two. <laughs> See, see my fingers up here right now? That, that's two. two. That's not rabbit ears. That's two. <laughs> so they can have breaks? Exactly. I don't want to overwork my Koreans. And 12 on, 12 off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, bonus if they if they wash the truck and detail it out. And a super bonus if they love me a long time. <laughs> You're so bad. So anyways. How's that bad? I'm trying to employ people. I'm creating jobs. 
Oh, there it is. I lost my mouse for a minute. I'm I actually I'm I, I got a better plan than the government does because this is your pathway to citizenship in America. <laughs> you will sponsor them. I will sponsor them. Oh <laughs> yes. If, so <laughs> if I can come home and my place is spotless, and then you know, like I wake up and food's all ready and dinner's ready when I get home, and my truck's all clean and stuff. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. <laughs> like not no no word of a joke that'd yeah. be freaking amazing yeah i'd be like best investment ever 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 so so actually in 2000 oh my nose 2013 when the lapd detectives got that file and they found her name in that you know deposition they were actually able to match motel receipts into the cities and exact dates where victims were discovered. Oh, damn. Yeah. It, like, pinpointed it. They booze clues that shit. They did. But it took them, what, 30 years? 30 years, yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's a hard puzzle, man. I I have a... Okay, look. I'm kind of proud of myself. Okay. I actually put together a puzzle that said two to four years <laughs> in, like, a whole week. <laughs> So I was pretty proud. I was pretty proud. Just saying. You're so stupid. So I, I feel the pain. I feel the pain. So when the LAPD detectives were going through that, the documents that Brown sent them, they saw something else. It was the entire case file for the Linda Melinda Lepre murder investigation in Pascagoula. Now, the discovery of that file was an important find for the authorities. Pascagoula is in Mississippi, by the way. Yeah. I said that earlier. Yeah, but people tend to go, past a what? Pass a who? <laughs> So, as it turns out, in Pascagoula, the original case file had been lost over the years. And the authorities believe it was most likely lost in 2005 when the area was devastated by Hurricane Katrina. So, they never would have had that original that file if it wasn't for the fact that it would, they had this Pascagoula was working with the county in Florida to try to, you know, connect him to both murders. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Robinson Jackson learned that Pascagoula detectives considered Little as their primary suspect. And during their investigation, they found women who had survived similar attacks in the area around the same time. All of those women gave descriptions that strongly resembled Little. They also gave detailed descriptions of a, quote, brown station wagon with wood grain finish. So, he had a woody. Oh, my God. That's what they're called. I know. Because, you know, nothing, nothing's as classy like having fake wood finish on the side of your fucking vehicle. You know what? I the, want a car The only wood. thing classier than that is those airbrushed vans. Dude, you those know, were with awesome. The whole painting on them. Yeah. I want one like with, you know, like maybe, maybe a nice like uh, dragon scene on it. Right, or and, unicorn. Or Those were popular. I'm going to call it the shagging wagon. I'm going to have some shag carpet in the back, a disco ball, mattress. Oh, you're not going to name it Murder Mac like Bitteker Norris did? Oh, no. I'm going to name it the shagging wagon. I'm going <laughs> to drive around the high schools going, hey, baby, I got Wi-Fi. <laughs> the funny part about that is my grandpa had a panel van that he decked out the back with a carpet and a bed and everything, but only because he and my grandma traveled everywhere. No, nah, because they were out there murdering. No, it wasn't. Thank you. Ooh, again. So, um, as where was I? Oh, as a result of the murder charges in L.A. and the investigation that was launched into the other murders, the authorities in Pascagoula actually reopened the murder case of Melinda Lepre. And before the end of 2013, 
Little's DNA was tested to find out if he was responsible for the murder of 93 women in several states across the country. Now, his trial for the three murders in Los Angeles... I lost my mouse again. Oh, there it is. Um, began in early September 2014. During the trial, the prosecutor entered the incriminating DNA results into evidence. And he also called several witnesses to the stand that survived attacks by Little at various times over the years. Among those witnesses were prostitutes from Pascagoula around the time that Melinda was murdered. Now, a few weeks after the trial began, the jury returned with their verdict on September 25th, 2014. They found him guilty on all charges, and he was given a prison term of life without the possibility. Now, Little maintained his innocence despite the overwhelming evidence against him. Um, it was a little over four years later, on November 9th, 2018, when he finally came forward and began revealing the truth. He started by confessing to strangling Melissa Thomas to death in Opelousa, Louisiana. Now, in 1996, 29-year-old Melissa Thomas's body was discovered in the Little Zion Cemetery, and an autopsy revealed her cause of death was the result of strangulation. After detectives didn't receive any promising leads during their investigations for several years, the case went cold. Now, in 2009, Melinda's sister actually reached out to the local law enforcement officials, and she explained that it had been 13 years since her sister was murdered, and she mentioned that her parents had already died without knowing what happened to their daughter. She emphasized that they would have wanted to know who was responsible for Melissa's murder. Sergeant Crystal LeBlanc was so compelled by her plea, she chose to reopen the case and launch a new investigation back in 2009. Now, despite her efforts to find out who murdered Melissa, it took nine more years for them to find a primary suspect. Now, the authorities probably wouldn't have ever found out who was responsible if Little didn't come forward with his confession. As it turns out, him Little confessing to murdering Melissa Thomas was only the beginning. He went on to tell Texas Ranger James Holland that... Wait a minute. What? Yes, not Walker. He should have been telling Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger. So anyways, that he had murdered approximately 93 women before de be between December 31st of 1970 and 2005 in the following states. Florida, Maryland, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, Illinois, Mississippi, South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, California, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. Holy cow, that is my tour schedule. Right? That's Jesus 1, 2, 3, Christ, 6, man. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's 15 states. Jiminy Christmas. God, yeah. He's a rock star, man. Yeah. So, um,. I'm going to get into the other murders next episode because otherwise we won't have a stopping part for stopping point for a long time. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. A big shout out to my chef for this morning, by the way, Chef uh, Alejandro Yak. That's your new name, Alejandro de Yak. Jacobe. <laughs> That's right, Jacobe. He made me uh, something called, what the hell is this called? Omu rice. Actually, um, it's Korean. Oh. Umu oh. rice. 
Omu. Omu rice, which is like a Korean and Japanese dish, is really good. It's a yeah, it's like a rice, rice omelet. omelet. And you put hot sauce on it, which is freaking awesome. All right. So we're ready to wrap this one up? I'm ready. All right. Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Go over to the YouTube channel. Give us a like. Ring the bell. Follow us. We're going to be uploading a lot more videos. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? I'm thinking. Uh, my band's page for YouTube is going back up. Uh, for Twisted Blue. Don't look it up right now because it's a lame-ass freaking jazz band that sucks that is calling themselves Twisted Blue and we're working on getting them taken down because you know, bastards. Um, what else? I'm thinking because I'm an asshole this morning. This show is copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. Remember, if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast or show, they're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>